Passing Out Loud, a Bristol Post podcast with Michelle Owen and Bristol Rovers reporter Jack Vittles. Hi there, yeah, welcome to the first Gassing Out Loud podcast with myself and Jack Vittles. Hello there, Jack. Hello, how are you? Yeah, good, thank you. Excited to start this podcast with you. And we're going to cover a range of topics today. Uh, of course, the 6 0 win against Northampton, which was pretty emphatic. You were there, we'll talk about that. When I look at the table, is it too early to be looking at? Daryl Clark doesn't think so. And also the fact that two points off the playoffs, what does that mean at this stage of the season? And you've been chatting to Steve Phillips as well, the ex Bristol Rovers uh, keeper who we're going to have a chat with. But we're going to start with a stat. It's sort of a question, this one, isn't it? Uh, For the first 11 games, Bristol Rovers did what in every game? But they didn't do it on Saturday. We'll give you the answer at the end of the podcast. So, Jack, uh, let's start with the 6-0 win on Saturday. That was pretty emphatic. You were there. What did you make of the performance? Yeah, absolutely. It was by far and away their best performance of the season, obviously, as the, the result shows. And just a really energetic, exciting and lively, aggressive attacking performance, really, which Rovers have done for small spells uh, so far this season. But I think particularly that second half was the best I've seen them play in an attacking sense. And also, you know, it's easy to forget when you score six goals, not conceding as well. It's a huge thing for them. They've really struggled with that this season. Uh, So, yeah, really positive result. One to really lift the spirits of the fans after a, a pretty indifferent first month or two to the season. But that's three wins from four now in the league. And all of a sudden, they're starting to get a little bit of momentum together. And I think that 6-0 result, particularly on International Week, mm. when maybe a few more neutralised would have been on the League 1 and League 2 results, I think it really sets Rovers up and brings them to a lot of people's attention. Yeah, Yeah, you sort of look down the scores on Saturday and you're like, 6-0? What? I, I was... I was actually surprised, given the inconsistency, because that does seem to have been a theme so far, some inconsistent results. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Northampton were poor, um, but they've only really been losing by the odd goal before that, and they've been struggling. Mm. Uh, but they were yeah, very poor on Saturday, but Rovers were rampant. So it's just a really nice change from, like I say, these sort of small spells in matches where they've had a little bit of the advantage, and then there'll be a defensive slip-up, they concede a goal, um, and then maybe you know, they go and lose from there, or only just win. Um, but the big thing as well is turning around that away form. They've had defeats already at Portsmouth, Wigan and Bradford, some of the bigger grounds. So it's great to go to somewhere like Northampton and not just win away from home, but, I mean, destroy a side away from home. 6-0, it's, it's a ridiculous result away. I think it's their, their biggest away win in 16, 17 years, something like that. Wow, and lots of different goal scorers as well. So that's going to help a lot of players' confidence, you think? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I know Tom Nichols still hasn't got his goal, but <laughs> the, the four strikers plus Bowden are all in, in great goal-scoring form and, and generally as well. And... Players like Liam Serkin as well, scoring from midfield. It's something Rovers have been lacking over the past few seasons. Somebody contributing those goals from midfield, aside from Bowden, who's more of an attacker really anyway. But Serkin coming in, arriving at the uh, the edge of the box. Um, he's done that a couple of times now. He's got a, a great shot on him, really uh, ferocious shot. It's frightening how hard he can hit the ball. So having somebody like him in midfield, sharing the goals around, it all bodes well. Yeah, so looking at the League One table now, it is, it is incredibly tight, it's fair to say, really anywhere from Oldham up there's not much in it Bristol Rovers sitting in 12 18 points a cluster of teams on 18 points at the moment but that's only two points off the playoffs so it's all very positive but for me I don't think you can look at the table sort of until November time what do you think? Yeah I mean absolutely a lot of people sort of prescribe to that don't they so you can't really judge a table until you're a couple of months in I know Daryl Clark has spoken repeatedly over the last few weeks how he likes to break the season up into quarters of 11 matches and then go from there. And I also spoke to Marcus Stewart earlier in the season who said he doesn't like to look at the table until 11 games in. So we are 11 games in now, 12 games in now. 
So I suppose we can afford a little look at the table. Um, I'm referencing it a little more often now when I talk about Rovers. But obviously there's a huge amount of scope for change. You know, I've only got to look at what some teams did last season, struggling down the bottom um, halfway through the season to mounting a playoff challenge and things like that. Teams like Exeter and League Two did that, I know. Um, so yeah, it is very early to look at the table, but yeah, two points off sixth place. I think they're three points off fourth place as well. It's that condensed. Apart from those top three sides, everybody's been pretty inconsistent and I suppose that really bodes well for Rovers and the fact they've been inconsistent as well. They haven't really lost much ground yet. So lots of chances for them to catch up and hopefully embed themselves in the top six. I mean, really, the playoffs were on the cards last season until sort of the penultimate game. Daryl Clark has spoke of his wish for Bristol Rovers not to be that team in League One that just float around mid-table season after season and finish there consistently. How big a charge do you think there is of Rovers reaching the playoffs or maybe even an automatic spot this season? Is that realistic? Uh, yeah, I think it's going to be tough. I think it's a very tough ask. And, and Daryl Clark said, you know, he's been quoted as saying, I don't want to be another Paul Trollope. I don't want to settle for mid-table obscurity, which is great ambition. And, and the fans welcome that. I know that. Um, after finishing 10th last season, I think their aim had to be top six. They had to show ambition. They had to look to bring the club forward. And that is a top six finish. I think after the first few games of the season, a few people may have been a little bit worried about that, about achieving a top six finish. But... The signings are starting to bed in now. The attacking play has been, you know, really entertaining recently. That's never been an issue for Rovers. And if they can get the defence sorted out, which they showed signs of doing even with a weakened back four on Saturday, I don't see why they can't push for the top six. There's so many teams that clustered in there behind the top three or four that it's always going to be tough. Um, but yeah, I think they've got a real good shot at it this season. It's just, it's the same old message as always. They just need to find a little consistent run at the right time of the season. So we'll see what happens. Now, Daryl Clark, um, I've done quite a few post-match interviews with him, but you've had a lot more dealings with him than I have. Uh, I've always found him to be quite amenable and fine after matches. But you've noticed something about him after matches and you think that you can explain why he's like this. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'd never, you know, I'd never claim to be able to explain what he's thinking or anything like that. That's for sure. But he often seems to be a little more, maybe not downbeat, but a little bit more circumspect in his words after a, a big victory uh, whereas when he comes out after a defeat he's very honest very open uh, really fronts up and he, you know I really commend him for doing that he does that very often if Rovers lose he comes out doesn't play any punches takes the blame himself and uh, is yeah very honest with the fans and the media but after a victory I think part of it is just managing expectations really he doesn't want his team or the fans to get carried away uh, and he's just a I think he's a very steely ambitious man um, and after a, a victory he often comes out and tries to downplay things uh, just to keep everything on a level footing, I think. And to keep maybe the players grounded and not let people almost get overexcited yeah, at this stage. Yeah, exactly. I think you know his, his side's not lacking confidence. He said that on Saturday. That was clear from the way they play. They're a very confident side when they're playing well, Rovers. But yeah, I don't think there's a, a worry of them getting too big for their boots. Daryl Clark wouldn't let that happen, that's for sure. <laughs> and um, you know, I've spoken to a lot of the players now and they're all... You know, really nice down-to-earth lads and they've got their heads screwed on. They know what they're doing. Um, so I don't think there's any danger of them getting carried away, particularly in this league, where no matter how well you play, you will just lose a few games. There's 46 games in a season. You play twice a week, 10 or 15 times a season. It's, it's almost impossible to get on a winning yeah. run. So you know, losing the odd game is part and parcel of it. It's just finding that consistency. And you said you've seen the owner down the mem a couple of times. That's really good to see. You wouldn't often see that in League One, especially in this sort of circumstance. And for those fans that don't know much about the owner, perhaps you can fill us in a little bit more. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, 
the Rovers owner, uh, while Alcardi, president as well, I think you know, most Rovers fans know him very well by now. He's been there 18 months and really turned the club around. Unfortunately, the UE deal fell through, but hopefully they'll push on now with redeveloping the men. But I think the biggest thing that a lot of fans like about Wilde is the fact that he does interact with the fans on a, on a constant basis. He was in the away end at Northampton. There's a brilliant picture of him celebrating one of the goals with all the fans and they you know got their arms around him and hugging and he's just there as one of the fans. You know, he's, he's a real football man. How pivotal is he going to be to Rovers' future success and perhaps pushing on to the Championship? Yeah, I think it's going to be vital that they invest off the pitch before they have on, you know, on-field success. Daryl Clark's mentioned that a lot. The infrastructure needs to be in place and that is beginning to happen. The training ground, obviously, is now in the pre-planning stage. That's going to be a, make a huge difference to have all of Rovers' teams at youth level, development level and first team under one roof. A purpose-built facility. I mean, where's that thing. being planned for? That's just by Armandsbury. Um, it's called the Colony. That's uh, just off the M5, M4 junction there. Um, and at the moment, um, we're not quite sure on the timescale of that. I think the planning permission is due to be submitted soon, hopefully. Um, and yeah, that'll make a huge difference in terms of infrastructure. But just things like that behind the scenes, and yeah. they've really fleshed out the development squad this season as well. They've got a huge number of youth players who are doing well and can step into the first team. That's that level of infrastructure is only going to help the side on the pitch with that aim of championship football down the line, hopefully. Yeah, absolutely. And, and fingers crossed that the Mem does get some more uh, redevelopment. Uh, so you've been chatting to Steve Phillips, the ex-Bristol Rovers uh, keeper, who's been uh, giving his thoughts on all sorts of things, uh, including looking back on the promotion-winning season over 10 years ago now. Yeah, absolutely. So I had a little chat with Steve uh, about the 2006-07 promotion-winning season where they won in the playoffs against Shrewsbury. So I think we'll have a little listen to what he had to say about that now. I had a feeling with Lenny Lawrence in the back end in and around it as well, who I, I grew to really, really like. I, I knew that something was going to happen. And so, yeah, so we got to Christmas, um, something clicked. We went on this amazing, unbeaten run that made us get out the bottom six to in sort of 10th, 9th, 8th, 7th. And then come the end of the season, we had to go away to uh, Hartlepool, who, were, who needed to match. Uh, another result of the team in second place to win the championship. My old manager was the manager of Hartlepool, Danny Wilson from Bristol City. Um, we went up there knowing how difficult a job that was. And we had to match a, another team. I can't quite remember the team who were in seventh place, eighth place. We were in the playoffs yeah. going into the last game. And I'm thinking, wow, we've got a, this is a tough game. Because they, they, they know that if they win, they've won the title, which is massive. They don't just want to go up. It's, it, it, you want to win the title player you want that on your CV so we went there and we went 1-0 down and the other team was winning 5-0 at half time so we knew that we had to score two or we'd miss out on the playoffs basically it happened but um, the courage and the focus that the team showed on that particular afternoon was nothing that I'd ever seen we were out we'd gone we were on the floor we'd finished the season was over but somehow we managed to Turn that game around. You can imagine what the crowd was like. It was full house at Hartlepool. Uh, we were 1 0 down. The other team was winning. They all knew that. Our fans were dead quiet because they thought we'd blown it. Uh, pops, um, uh, I think it was a penalty. I think Diz, Diz got a penalty that was a bit of a 50 50 penalty, in full fairness. But he did step that away. And then in, in the last, I think it was 84th minute, played down the right hand side of Ryan Green, cross one to Lambo. And he's never going to miss a head free header from 8 10 yards out. And he, uh, that goalie's right hand side and that was that you know we held on in the last they came second Harley Paul and we got in the playoffs I think we finished fifth in the end and then we're going to Lincoln in the playoffs who won 
who have been in the playoffs for the previous lap, three, three seasons on the trot. So I'm thinking, right, these are know what everything's about in the playoffs. Are they going to lose in the semi-finals of the playoffs four seasons on the trot? Is that, is that, or are we going to, you know, what, which way the second leg went there, two went up from the first leg and absolutely battered them. Absolutely battered them. And I knew then that we were on, you know, we were on for a, a, a pretty decent end of the season. And, um, we played Shrewsbury in the final, and they went one and up after two minutes. And uh, I still knew, 99% knew we'd still win because of the quality we had, the the composure in front of the goal, the strikers were on fire. Um, we'd let hardly any goals in. Like you said, I got 29, 28 or 29 clean sheets during that season, which was the best out of every division in England. And that wasn't just down to me, let me tell you. That was down to a lot of a lot of players in that team who can defend and can run back and, and were very fit and um, Steve Elliott was an absolute man mountain he didn't miss a header and on the other hand we had attacking players that, that, that caused trouble so even being 1-0 down I thought we're still in business here and then when we scored uh, halfway through the first half I knew then we were going to go win and when we did what a, what a finish Yeah great memories and Steve Phillips was one of the few players that has crossed Bristol he went from City to Rovers and he had some pretty strong things to say about that didn't he yeah absolutely you know not an easy thing to do at all to to cross the river as as Matty Taylor I'm sure can tell you recently but Steve went the other way from City to Rovers and he uh, told me a few bits and pieces about how tough it was making that change but the move did test me I I must admit it did test me and it tested me quite quite a lot because you know by the time I'd left it all came out um stuff shoved, shoved through my letterbox at home, breeze blocks from my car window. I couldn't go out at night in town when I wanted for the weekend. Um, I had to have a reminder with me when I went out. It all had to be planned. Um, I was lucky I didn't get filled in, to be fair. I managed to dodge all that. But it, 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 it took about 18 months, two years to quieten down. Of course, we went back and played Bristol City in the Johnson Paint area final, which Gary Johnson came out in the press and said, we know all this about him. We know we're going we're gonna to do this, we're going to do that. And it's a it just made me better. It, it just made me better. If I could be better, that 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 guy that week leading up to that big, massive game that would have got either team to Wembley, just cost them massively because what he did was he made me even more... If I could be even more determined, he made me more determined. And he cost them the game. By coming out in the press and giving me a load of grief, cost them the game because I was more focused than ever to win and to not let a clean, not let them score and keep a clean sheet. If we kept a clean sheet over the two legs, we would win. And that is all there is to it. We had the firepower up front. And this is at the time when we were struggling still. And of course, the rest of the history, Lambo smashes one down the middle of the goal that Basso should save. Um, and we go on and get to Wembley and, and, the, and win in the playoff final. And, but the, the, the transition was pretty tough, I must admit. And quite different to Bristol he was thinking of going somewhere slightly more exotic at one stage wasn't he yeah absolutely when he was uh, his time was coming to an end at Rovers he was offered the chance to go over and uh, speak with a Turkish Super League club uh, so I had a little chat with him about what it was like going over there and, and how that deal fell through really when uh, they told me I could leave Rovers um, uh, they became common knowledge that I was leaving and a couple of agents 
called me and said, did I fancy going over? So we went over, and um, it was the same team as Darius Vassal was playing for, Anka Gucci, and they were in the Turkish Super League. So I went over, and they flew me out first class, I had a, and uh, my agent was Sal in another bed, and we were just drinking champagne now on the way there. I couldn't believe what was going on, really. And um, we got there, and it was a shambles. I can't describe to you. We got there, we got off the plane, we got to this five-star hotel in the middle of the Turkish capital, uh, and they took us to the ground. Looked around the ground, that was fine. Um, next thing, we were going to meet the chairman. Didn't meet the chairman. What's going on? Oh, chairman's busy. Right, okay. Then the next thing that came out was the goalie that they were paying up to leave had turned around and said that he didn't agree with the settlement figure that they were going to give him to leave. He had a couple of years left on his contract. So from that point on, it just fell apart, really. And a couple of days later, I was still in Turkey. Family was at home. Um, and I had a call from um, Paul Simpson at Shrewsbury asking if I wanted to go on loan to Shrewsbury. He said to my agent, look, get me home. And uh, we flew back the next day. They didn't put us in first class on the way home, mind. Um, <laughs> but uh, went back to Shrew- went back to Bristol, got all my stuff, went to Shrewsbury, and arguably played the best two and a half months in form-wise that I'd ever played, even 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 probably a little. Even though I, <laughs> I got player of the season at Rovers at every avenue, in my first season, I won every player of the year award going. And I played better at Shrewsbury in those two and a half months than I ever did at Bristol Rovers. That's how well I was on form. It was a brilliant club. The goalie coach was absolutely outstanding, which learned me a lot as a coach, looking back, because now I try and, and do the same to the goalies that I coach. He made me feel like I was the best. He made me feel like I was unbeatable. The training was really, really good, sharp, fast, aggressive. Um, and... The only reason I left Shrewsbury and I didn't sign was because they signed Chris Neal on from Preston that summer and they couldn't afford two first-team goalies' wages. So I left Shrewsbury after two two months in sixth place, fifth place. They ended up 18th. Not saying that was because of me, but it, um, you know, I'd like to think if I'd have stayed there, they wouldn't have finished 18th. Um, and then I went to Crew Alexander on loan for the rest of the season which is where I stayed then until I retired. So he almost ended up in Turkey, but stayed around here. And you put him on the spot about his ex-teammates as well, didn't you? Yeah, absolutely. Just asked him a few sort of light-hearted questions, just to get him chatting about uh, a few of those Rovers teammates from that really brilliant era that he was part of. So, yeah, we'll have a little listen to see what he said about his uh, former teammates. Who was the best trainer among your Rovers teammates during your time there? Well, it was me. It was me from the moment, the moment I turned pro to the moment... By the time I'd hit 33, 32, 33... It, you know, I had to look after myself a little bit better, but no one trained harder than I did, or more, because that is what I had to do to stay in the game. Because I'd come from non-league. If I'd have gone home when the first-team players went home, or even though I was in the first team, I would never have lasted. Oh, brilliant. And a, a bit more of a, a light-hearted one now. Who was, who was the worst yep. dress in the changing room, would you say? Who, who was a terrible clocker? Well, a lot of people would probably say me. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I would say... Oh, it's a long time ago that. It's a long time ago that. Flares were back in mind. Um, uh, i got to say Craig Kinton was probably up there. I was wondering who, yeah. who, your, who your best mate was in that changing room as well. Who was your, who was your buddy? Um, well, I, I roomed with, with Ricky when uh, when I first got there. Okay. Um, yeah, I roomed with Lambeau and then Danny Coles. Um, so, listen, are any of them my best friends? No. Did I get on with them when I was playing? Yes. Um, a lot of uh, you'd be surprised. There's you know not a lot of people end up with best friends in football because it's it, it's just it's just the uh, the environment is um, very cutthroat. People are after your position. 
people are after, you know, people can affect your, your livelihoods if they don't, you know, if they're, they're not pulling their weight and they're not doing things properly or they're not training properly and you're thinking, well, you're going to affect my livelihood. So, you know, it, it can be a bit tricky having friends, having friends that I grew up with at school and friends from football. They're two totally different things, if that makes sense. Jack, you're privy, you know, to a lot of stuff that goes on behind the scenes at Bristol Rovers down the tunnel. You're always around in that area and very privileged to sort of see behind the scenes. So who, who's like the club clown now? <laughs> yeah, no, they're, they're a pretty lively bunch, to be honest. They're, they're always having a laugh and joke whenever I sort of see them at the training ground at the game. I'd say, you know, somebody like Ellis Harrison is always uh, cracking a smile and trying to make people laugh. And quite often he'll be, you know, in the background of interviews and things, making a silly face or <laughs> just trying to make the, the interview subject laugh, which is always good fun. So, yeah, I think he's certainly... Uh, takes it on himself to really lighten the mood which is obviously you always need somebody like that yeah you team. need that don't you especially yeah. you know if they are as we're, as we're talking about at the moment if they are going to be pushing on further up you need someone to sort of just bring a bit of a smile to the dressing room yeah absolutely I, I don't think they're short characters like that at all the the amount of people that come the new signings and instantly within a week they start saying you know this is the best change room we've ever been part of everybody enjoys each other's company I think that's something that comes from you know the way Daryl Clark operates he brings in the right sort of characters and people that are going to gel off the pitch as well as on it. So this weekend, Bristol Rovers, it's almost like they've shunted Bristol City to Friday night because they're playing home at the Men on Saturday. I feel like there's been an admin error here because usually uh, both Bristol teams are not at home on the same weekend. Are you privy to anything that's happened there? Yeah, no, I'm not sure what happened. I remember we, we, we did a story around fixed release day, I think. There was maybe three or four fixture clashes, which is obviously very unusual. Mm. And it's not happened... I remember researching it a little while ago. It's not happened for well a number of years. Both sides playing at home, obviously with the, the amount of police that would be required and things like that, it doesn't really happen very often. But yeah, so City get shunted to the Friday night slot, and uh, yeah, Rovers will be very happy to keep their three o'clock Saturday afternoon. That's for sure. Playing Oxford and not much between these teams so far. Oxford United in tenth, two places above, but it's only on goal difference. Both teams sitting on eighteen points. How do you see this one going? Yeah, it's going to be another tough game. No easy games in League One. Bit of a cliche, but there it is. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, Oxford, there's a bit of a rivalry there with Rovers. I know the match is all ticket, so you need to make sure you get your ticket before you go. That's very important to mention. Yeah, it should be a really good game. Obviously, Liam Serkin playing against his old club as well. Yeah, I think it's a sort of game at home. Rovers are very good at home over the past three or four years now. It's exactly the sort of game that if they're serious about a top six place, they have to be winning. Um, they'll have Sweeney and Lockyer back from international duty. Obviously, there's worry over Bowden, the injury he picked up on Saturday. But I think they should hopefully have enough to overcome what will be, I'm sure, a very good Oxford side with a, with a really big away support as well. Yeah, obviously not far down the M4 for them to come. And then on Tuesday, it feels like the game's come thick and fast at this stage of the season. A trip up to uh, Shrewsbury, top of the league at the moment. That's going to be the sternest test yet, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, nobody saw that coming. Shrewsbury being top of the league, that's for sure. You know, they were, <laughs> they were right down there battling for relegation last season. And all credit to them for... You know, pulling out this unbeaten start to the season in 12 games unbeaten. I think they are now without any real star names. But yeah, going there to their ground, top of the league unbeaten. It's one of those games that didn't really stand out in August, but all of a sudden it does now. You know, Tuesday night away to top of the league, like I say. Another big test for Rovers. They keep coming. So again, if they can be the team that maybe stops Shrewsbury's unbeaten run, that would be a, 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 you know, a, a great scalp for them. Yeah, well, providing obviously Shrewsbury stay unbeaten at the weekend. Yeah. And... We will revisit now as we come towards the end of the podcast. Uh, I asked you at the start, for the first 11 games, Bristol Rovers did something in every single game, but they broke that at the weekend. And Jack, that was? Well, they finally kept a clean sheet, which is great news. <laughs> yeah, they kept conceding, a conceded goal for the first 11 games of the season, but a clean sheet at the weekend, you know, that will give them confidence going into this weekend, won't it? It's, it's, it's something you've talked about, defensive frailties, and something they'll be keen to 
hopefully get a couple more in, in the near future. Yeah, absolutely. It's been a bit of a weird one. They've never been atrocious defensively this season. Just been a few errors here and there that have meant they've ended up conceding a lot of goals. And they've they've shown you know against Wolves they held out for two hours, clean sheet against Fulham, both of those in the cup. Um, so they've shown they can do it. It was just nice to transfer that into a league match and a league match where they you know put six past the team as well brilliant thanks Jack so we will be back in a fortnight's time we're going to have a lot to talk about then uh, lots of games between now and then we'll see how Rovers fare against Oxford and of course the big test against Shrewsbury at the top of the league and uh, we'll bring you some more behind the scenes going on then thanks Jack no worries gassing out loud <laughs>